bringing us some timeless truth this evening is the one and only Ephraim Garcia. Ephraim is a native of California, the Texan by choice now, and we claim him. He is one of the managers at Chick-fil-A, where he and his wife both work on different shifts. They're raising four wonderful children. We are just so honored to have you with us tonight. Glad you could get off work, Ephraim, and bring us the word. Come right on, bro. Today we're going to be reading from 1 John 3. I'm going to be taking it from verse 10, and then just to finish the thought, I'll be continuing through verse 18. Um, I thought I'd start off with the text right away. Um, is anyone interested in reading it? Any volunteers? In a loud voice. I have a loud voice. In this, the, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. This is 310, right? Correct. Okay. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his, see his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in truth, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Alright. So today we're going to be talking about loving our brothers. Um, one of the things that I think is important, you know, is that we know what love is. What is the biblical definition of love? But before we get into the biblical definition of love, I just kind of wanted to see, like, love's kind of a broad term. It means a lot of different things to different people. So I was doing a, a search on the Internet today just to try and get an idea of, you know, when you read this, especially if it's someone who's not well-versed in the Bible and they can see it talking about love, what, are they, what do they think love looks like? Um... One of the things that I thought was interesting was the Encyclopedia Britannica defines love as something too complicated to define. Cop <laughs> <laughs> out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy says, avoid it if at all possible. <laughs> the UrbanDictionary.com has some interesting takes on love. Some of them some of the responses are, and this is people submitting their own responses. So, uh, one of them was nature's way of tricking people into reproducing. <laughs> Another person said, either a horrible disease or a blessing. You either love love or hate love. Dictionary.com defines love as this: a profound, tender, passionate affection for another person, or a feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection. One of the things that I find interesting from the world's perspective of love is it all has to do with feelings. 
you know, it mostly has to do with how you feel about the other person or how the other person makes you feel. Um, that's not what the Bible says love is, though. Um, the best definition of love that I was able to find in the Bible is in 1 Corinthians 13, which I'm probably sure everyone's familiar with, but we're going to go ahead and turn there anyways, just to refresh your memory. 13, 13. In 13... Let me get you the reference right now. 13... Four, verse 4 through 7. And do I have any volunteers that would like to read it? Mm-hmm. Or I can read it, that's fine. Yeah. Okay, I got it. 13.4 Love Thir- is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Go through how many? Through seven. seven. Does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffering, does not rejoice in uprighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, one of the things that I thought was interesting about the way the Bible defines love is it not only tells what love is, it also describes what love isn't. Um, Things that it is, it's kind, long-suffering, rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and loves never fails. Those are positives. Um, Things love is not. Envious, puffed up, parades itself, behaves rudely, does not seek its own, is not easily provoked, is not evil, is uh, does not rejoice in iniquity. So it's got a positive definition of things to do when you love, but it's also got what I call a negative definition of things you don't do when you're walking in love. Um, it's, I find for myself, it's often easy for me when I think about loving someone to try and do a positive action because you think that's the actionable sort of thing to do. You're going to give to somebody because you love them. As Christians, that's good and we're supposed to do that, but a lot of the time I feel like um, it's um, easy to forget about all the things we're not supposed to do when we're walking in love. Uh, I'm thinking about, I mean, this is just myself. I don't have any Christian bumper stickers on my car because one of the things is love is not rude. And I don't want to be, you know, representing Christ poorly when my driving habits tick off the cars around me. <laughs> you know? I really don't want to get hit with a beer bottle. That's really funny. You know? And it's like, I think about that, and it's like, how often in our Christian walk, are we forgetting about those sort of things, you know, as part of loving our brothers? Um, it, you might be someone who's moved fairly easy to give to the poor, but, you know, if you're rude as an idiot grocery clerk that, you know, overcharged you for something like that, and so you come back and you have a problem and you're kind of belligerent to them, 
you're still not walking in love. Um, you know, um, so it's important that we think about that aspect of love too. Um, let me, another thing looking in the text here is loving one another is proof that we're God, children of God, we're born again, that our spirit's been reborn. In verse 10 of 1 John 3, it says, In this the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. God equates not loving the same way in that verse that he does is working evil. So if we're not actively walking in love towards one another, we're sinning. Um, you know, that's that's what the standard here that God's holding us to. Um, it's also... Um, sorry, let me get caught up here on my notes. It's more than a feeling that we have towards somebody, you know. It's how we choose to act, how we choose to interact with people, how we choose to respond to people. Um, but it's not all actions. Um, one thing that I did want to point out also is in verse 18 of First John 3, 4, it says, My little children, let us love not in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. So that's dealing with actions there. But I'm going to backtrack just a little bit more again to 1 Corinthians 13. This time we're going to go to verse 1. It says, Though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not love and am become as sounding brass or tinkling cymbal, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and have all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. So it is possible to go through the motions and the actions of love and still not have love. You know, it's not just a feeling, but it's not just an act of doing good deeds towards other people. Um, one of the things you see in the Bible a lot of the time is it says that Jesus was moved with compassion, and then he started ministering to people. So it's a combination of being moved with compassion and applying that into our acts and our deeds. It's something that we need to feel as well as do. Um, one of the things that you also see here in Scripture is love is a command. Um, in verse 11 of 1 John 2, sorry, I'm sorry, I keep jumping back and forth between the two books, but it says, For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Um, so if it's something that he's telling us to do, then it's not something that we just, you know how people talk about falling in love, like, you know, you fall off a horse or you fell into a ditch, like, just, you know, you don't you don't have any control about it. it. It's, no, it's a choice that you have. You can choose to walk in love and 
that's what we're expected to do. Um, so being a choice, um, the way we do that is surrendering our own desires and agenda, putting what will benefit others around us and our brothers ahead of our own desires. Um, you know, I think it was Jesus that said, greater that love has no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his brothers. You know, that's the ultimate sacrifice there. Um, so true love is sacrificial. You know, it's elevating. I th- I'm not sure what the scripture is, but I know there's a scripture where it talks about um, to consider each other, other people higher than ourselves, giving deference to them. And that's part of walking in love. It's when you're putting the needs and feelings of the people around you ahead of yourself. Um, one of the things about true love is that it's hard. You know, if you look at the definition of the world standards, um, it they don't compare. True love by nature is sacrificial. It doesn't necessarily benefit us. This is not what we learn about love when you watch uh, pop culture. To love, it's a pop culture, like I mentioned before, it's all about feelings, how it makes you feel, you know, some girlfriend might tell you, oh, I love you. Why do you love me? Oh, because you make me feel so special or whatever. It's what can you get from other people to make you feel loved, and then you kind of maybe might respond in kind with some sort of mutual affection. Um, but to truly love someone, when you're sacrificing for yourself, that's not a feeling that naturally comes to human nature. Um I mean, probably the best example I can give about that is the saying, you know, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. You know what I mean? That's an that's how people generally respond when they give love and it's not reciprocated or they don't get anything back. You know, that is the way human nature wants to respond to to love. And, you know, but as, you know, that's why it's important as Christians that we generally show the love of God, because that's what sets us apart from the world, because that's not the natural response. Um, One of the things is the same verses that we're commanded to love our brothers, in these verses that we just read, we are also warned that the world will hate us. You know, it says in, let me see here, verse 13, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life. Um, But he's basically saying, look, the world's going to hate you, but you have to love your brothers anyways. In and of our own strength, that's impossible. That's not something that it comes in human nature. That's not something that benefits in any sort of way to do. Um, but with our spirits being born again and walking with Christ, allowing him to renew our mind and our hearts, um, that's where we get the strength to walk in that kind of love. And that's how love is proof of our salvation. Um, so... 
I kind of left off there because I know next week they're going to be talking about um, loving indeed and kind of like the practical application of loving indeed. But I um, wanted to know if anyone had any thoughts that they wanted to share. You know, comments. I was just, as, it, you know, it almost like like God kind of set me up a little bit. I was I was watching a testimony yesterday, and this person said something like. Every time when you see Jesus move with compassion over the crowd, he's getting ready to do something, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like he just sort of sets it up. But I'm, I'm thinking because of like, because God is love, that when we walk in him and that communion with him, that we have no choice that that just flows through us when he's calling us to do something, calling us to do something for people. Mm-hmm. You know? But it got me thinking last night, I was praying, God, I hope that... Get moved with compassion for people. You know, and that's something that, that in the world, I mean, I, I took psychology in college, and they teach you not to get emotionally involved. They teach you not to love when you're counseling somebody. So you can't love them. You can have empathy, you know, empathy or something like that, but you can't love whoever you're trying to help. Yeah, I was convicted this week personally um, from, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but over by the Wendy's in the shopping center, there's been somebody sitting out there with a sign that said, um, you know, they were basically soliciting money, um, saying that their wife had cancer and just kind of sitting there. And, you know, I generally, I've in my youth, I used to be a lot more generous helping people out. I had a couple situations where I took homeless people and, you know, bought them coffee, took a freezing woman, tried to take her home in the middle of the night, and ran around for like three hours as she constantly gave me different directions to different locations and trying to figure out where to drop this lady off. And so I kind of was one of those things where I allowed myself to become a little bit jaded just because, I mean, I don't have to tell you how that story ended. I, but oh, it was well, okay. Okay, well, okay, okay, well, okay, okay, well, okay, well, this is what happened. Right, this is what happened. This was this was in L.A. Okay, so I I was on my way home from work, and I saw a lady in a wheelchair. Just it was cold. It was like not Granberry cold like right now, but for L.A. it was like 40 degrees, which I thought was pretty cold back then. so there's this lady in a wheelchair and she's just sitting in the park and I usually work late so it was about 12 o'clock middle of the night and she's wandering around this parking lot and I was moved with compassion and I was like hey you know do you need a ride somewhere or do you have somewhere to stay and basically asked her how I could help her and she's like oh well there's this house this apartment you know if you could take me to such and such a place So I helped move her from her wheelchair into my car, put the wheelchair in the trunk. I mean, she smelled like urine. She had, like, pussy sores on her legs. It was like someone who's, you know, poor and homeless. So I start driving to where she tells me to go, and then she starts... All the details are kind of sketchy, but I remember she changed. She couldn't give me a definite location of where to take her. And she's like, well, if you take me to this gas station over here, maybe we could go something this. And like I said, this is a while ago, so I don't remember all the details, but it was like, 
going in circles and circles for like three hours from one location. Finally, I take her to a gas station. I get her a cup of coffee. She couldn't give me any other locations where to take her. I was like, do you need to go to the hospital? Do you need medical attention? Do you have somewhere to stay? You know, I can't take her home with me. My wife was pregnant. I live up two flights of stairs. She's in a wheelchair. You know, it was not not going to happen. Uh, and I didn't know, it, but at this point, I kind of assumed responsibility for her because I took her into my car out of the situation it was at, and I have no idea what what to do. So eventually, she agreed to be dropped off at this gas station that she said was near where she lived. And I got her some coffee, and she went inside, and it was warm in there, and I dropped her off. But my car smelled for urine, like urine for about three months after that. I could not get the smell out of the car. And just the fact that I was, like, trying to help someone and kind of just being run around, and I'm not really sure what she wanted me to do, but she was kind of shifty in the way that she kept inferring, like, she wanted money, you know, and I've, I just really felt taken advantage, and after that, I was like, I'm never stopping to help someone ever again kind of a thing. <laughs> so this week, you know, I saw the people sitting outside the Wendy's, and it was like, I was kind of felt like being tugged towards them, but at the same time, this experience had me kind of jaded, and I was like, just kind of ignored it. Well, a little while later, I was leaving Walmart, and I came outside, and there were about 15 people gathering in a circle around them praying. And I was like, oh, that should have been me. You know, I felt like the compassion tugging on my heart when I was in that situation, but I had allowed myself to kind of harden my heart in that sort of way. So then, going from that and then studying for this lesson this week, it was like something that God really convicted me of. Don't you think that was the spiritual love of God? That is, in essence, what God is trying to get across to us, not walking in a fleshly love, but a spiritual love. Right, but at the same time, one of the things that we're seeing in here that is not enough just to feel it, but you have to back it up with actions too. And, I mean, you see in Scripture where um, Peter walked by some... Um, lame people, and he didn't have any money to give them, but he instead he just turned around and prayed for them. And, you know, sure, I, you know, was like, okay, maybe they're just raising, you know, trying to make money or, you know, trying to scam people or whatever. You know, that whatever, however I justified my hardness of my heart in that situation, I could have just stopped and prayed for her just as easily as everyone else did, but I didn't. And so... That was one of the things that I, you know, really felt convicted about this week. So, and I kind of think that is an example of what we're not supposed to do, especially after reading this, you know. It's not enough just to feel like you're heartbreaking, and it's also not enough to just write a check and be like, here, you know, just to get out of, to avoid the guilt of not wanting to, you know, because... Honestly, the goodness of God is what leads people to repentance. You can give people money, and if there's no heartfelt emotion attached to that, they're not going to feel God's love from you, and it's not going to have the same kind of impact as when you take the time to invest in them emotionally and let share God's love with them. 
So I think that's, I mean, this is just my speculation, but I'm, you know, I'm thinking that's why it's important in Scripture not just to go through the actions, but to actually have the heartfelt emotion to go with it. But at the same time, if you just have emotions and you don't do anything about it, that doesn't really show them God's love either. So. Yeah, I'll just tell you a quick... I, I remember one time when I picked up uh, this lady who looked like she had been homeless and gave her a ride somewhere. Uh, I don't remember what it was. And we were talking about uh, her life and um, about God and, and, and some... I was talking about what I feel and what I believe and stuff like that. And <clears throat> she didn't want money. She just wanted... And she wanted to get where she was going. And when she got where where she wanted to go, she just burst into tears. And I remember her just... It was just so emotional to, to, to see somebody react with a genuine... Because I didn't treat her like somebody who just uh, needed help. I was just, you know, giving her a ride just because I, you know, was going to give her a ride. And, and a lot of these people um, that I've given rides to and stuff, they, they either feel like people are treating them like a charity case. Um, they feel like you're doing something not for them, but for yourself. And people get that sense from you. Um and when you, you're actually genuine with somebody, they, they're they shocked. Um, either that or they have... <laughs> I've had one person that gave me, pick up, picked me up to give me a ride when I was working, uh, walking four miles a day to work. And they, they picked me up and were trying to shake me down for money. <laughs> the most, so, so there's all sorts of spectrum. But the thing is, is that you see these people and... And, I, you know, I could be this, this person on the side of the road just as easily as they could. I mean, I, I'm in a situation where, I, you know, I'm not finding the job. I'm not finding what I need. I could imagine being out there. I mean, I could imagine being in that spot, um, standing on, I mean, I stand up at health signs for different things before, so I know what it's like to stand on a corner in the cold and and just, it sucks. And... I mean, I remember one time where I was uh, protesting something. I don't think we get into that, but anyway. <laughs> but uh, I remember one person came up and gave me a cup of coffee. And just how much that meant to me, just that simple cup of coffee. Um, I'm sure that person didn't agree with what I was saying didn't matter. They treated me like a real person. And um, I guess what I'm trying to say is is that sometimes uh, the American mentality of charity um, tends to come off as selfish. Well, I don't know how to say it any other way. But sometimes when we're giving stuff to people, people who receive it <laughs> feel like they haven't been done any favors. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think it's I think it's something that I've kind of dealt with too, and you know, going up to the Indian reservation. I don't want to go. Well, we talked about that, Bill. I don't want to go for a humanitarian mission. Mm-hmm. I want to go before because of the gospel. Mm-hmm. If that means I go fix somebody's roof and I come down, it's like, okay, I think you're all set. Can I pray with you? 
And then usually they say, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I deal with it. It's like, God, don't let this just be humanitarian thing. We'll pray about that. And the last night, how long did we spend with that guy? Three hours in the middle of the night praying with that guy and yeah. sitting out with him yeah. under the stars and crying with him. And, you um, know, just out of the blue. It's like, God, is it not enough? And there in the middle of the night, loading up the trailer. And <laughs> so we prayed for that to happen. So we, did. we were given that shot. <coughs> and it was, I, I God really, set us up. People are yeah. hungry for people that are real with them. And when they see that Christians aren't just these uh, monolith cutouts that people put them out to be. And, and honestly, that's what Christians portray themselves at, in my view, a lot of times. So they see on, on, on TV, they see these, these smiling people that are all whatever, but somebody that actually talks to them and explains they understand what they're going through because they've been there before with them, or they understand what they're going through just like you're a bad person. It's like, I understand where you're going. This is why I'm the way I am. It's not just because of me. Um, but I understand where you are at. Um, it, it just doesn't come across that way so much. And what you guys are doing, we, we, you guys go out and you're able to spend time with a person. I'm sure he, when, when you guys left, he didn't feel like a charity case. Yeah. People's dignity is so... Um, fragile, that uh, a lot of times as a church, when we as a church really help somebody, um, they need it. But then there's times we'll never see them again, ever. And it's because they've judged themselves, not because we have, or at least we've tried not to. They judge themselves as... Um, I don't know if it's a take the money and run mentality or what. You know, sometimes you want to say, "Now, why, why, why are you disappearing? Is it the is it the blind man I healed?" You know, Jesus said, "Why do you want to stone me? Which mighty work is it?" <laughs> yeah. Dignity. I think Ephraim hindsight appears to be twenty twenty, but it really isn't. I think for three hours you showed a lady unconditional love, and that is an illustration of how hard it is to love. Mm. Now, looking back, if you're in that scenario again, you know the first time you circle the block and you see that same convenience store to let her out there and buy her a cup of coffee and save yourself some time, mm -hmm. as well as the less time in your car, the less likely to be urine in your seat. You know. <laughs> but you did something really good, and I just commend you for it. And that was probably before cell phones. No, we had cell phones. Oh, so your wife knew where you were. Yeah, I called her and let her know. <laughs> Man, <laughs> back in the day when you did something yeah. like that, your wife didn't know where you was yeah. and it was tough. Yeah. I remember one time I almost gave a lady a ride. I got home from work and uh, I wanted something to drink. So before I went to the house, I went to the neighborhood 7-Eleven. Yes, they used to have 7-Elevens in neighborhoods. And uh, got out of my car to get in there and a lady met me on the sidewalk. Can you give me a ride? I said, sure. Where do you want to go? Oh, I'll tell you when we get there. Oh, okay. But no. Nancy no. <laughs> no. 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 I found out later she was a hooker. I didn't know it. She didn't look like it at all. But if I got if I put her in my car, she would have propositioned me in ways that would have, you know, tempted me. Who knows what would happen, but I believe I would have put her out right then on the street, but maybe somewhere where she could have been harmed too. So um it, yeah. It, it also points to, you know, I, I often um, substitute the word. When you say, um, greater love has no man this than 
consume time for life. Because that's what we don't give. That's what we don't that's right. sacrifice. It's not about the money. It's not about going to pray for somebody. It's, it's you know, because even the prayer, you don't attach your time to it. Mm. You say, that's something I'm doing unto, unto God. But there's no real commitment to it because you didn't ultimately say, I'm going to go spend time with this person and let them know that I value their life. You know, the best way to, to equate that is you can give a kid a million toys, everything they ever want, but if you don't spend any time with them, they'll never appreciate it. But, they, but then you watch kids that are poor, whose dad's in their life, and they spend time with them, it's a completely different relationship. That's right. Jesus points us in that same direction with the, with the disciples. He could have very easily, you know, led them to, you know, taught them how to fish, all this stuff. But he invested time in them. Even when it was, even when it was, you know, I'm sure as a man he had to be going, when are you guys going to learn? How long do I have to be with you? And keep teaching you the same thing over and over and over again. But he invests his time in them. And that's what we miss as believers because we think we know everything. And all people want is to know that you value them enough to be with them. And I'm not saying, like, go visit. I mean, be with them. Well, I'd, I'd even go further than that, Shake. I mean, it is time, you know, and I think that you're right onto something. But it's it's actually presence. I would call it presence. In other words, spending time, but, like, when you guys were with the, with the, with the uh gentleman under the stars, you know, you were you were paying attention to what he was saying and you know, and that's so important and I think that this is the reason that, that God sent Jesus. I mean the Bible says that unto us a son is given. I mean that was the ultimate act of love. Hey man, I want to come hang. I want to be with you. And that's and and that was like whoa. Now there's not love. Sit, not just sit in a chair on the side of the room waiting for no no like not three just, hours are up yet. Okay, you know, not just down. sit on the throne. I mean, I mean, he obviously is, but I want to. Can we? Let's connect. Let's you know. I want to. I want to feel everything that you're feeling. I want to understand everything that you're tempted with. The, the last thing I can I'll show there was a period in my life I've shared this before that my oldest daughter. She turned 13. Uh, because she was starting to mature, she was confused about a lot of things. And she was confused, first of all, I wasn't her biological father, and she desired a relationship with her biological father and, and a relationship with him, a real relationship, and he wouldn't do that. So she took everything out on me. And that for, for years, several years, she would just, you know, just assume, tell me, I hate you, I wish you were dead, things like that. But, um, but even more importantly is she could not stand being around me. I mean, nothing I could do, that no matter what I did, she couldn't stand being around me. But when I got sick and she realized that she could lose me, she realized that, okay, this guy pours his life into me and he's literally getting ready to die. That changed. Where I noticed it changed was, one day I was in, I got out of the hospital and I had gone through rehab, but you know I was still doing rehab, but you know it's about a year or a half, and so doing rehab they would let me out to go do other things, and I was in this recording studio with a friend of mine, and we had lost track of time, and so she 
called and said, I'm coming by to see you. And normally when I would see her, at least in my mind, the way things display, normally when I would see her, it means she wanted some money or, you know what I'm saying, she needed something. It really didn't want to be with me. But she came into the studio, and, and and I she came in and sat down, and I got into what I was doing and just completely lost track of time. And then it dawned on me, man, you know, about five hours went gone on. And she hadn't said a word, just just there. And I said, I said, Kiki, I said, uh, was I supposed to be doing something? Am I supposed to be, did I forget something? And I never will forget, it still messes me up. She said, no, I just wanted to be with you. Oh, man. And I just, it just messed <laughs> me up so bad because, Oof. you know, all these dark. years of, like, I can't oh, stand man. you. Like, all of a sudden, it's just, I just want to be with you. I'm wrecked. Yeah, so, you know, that that to me is when love is genuine. You just really, you genuinely care. Like you said, you give them your presence. And, and you sacrifice um, not money. You know, money's a part of it because the reality is sometimes, you know, people are in a place of need and you have things that they they need. But more importantly, it's what's attached to the money that lets them know that you care about them. Good. It's not time for as much as it's time with. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. You know how fathers today, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's, it's different. Um, you know, they, they try to do things with their kids, take camping to. Um, try to, oh, what are some examples? You know, they do all kinds of activities with their kids, trying mm-hmm. to find bonding uh, moments. Huh? Bonding. Yeah, yeah, those kind of things and all. And, and uh, in my day, my, my daddy, he, he would always take me with him, no matter what he was doing, where it was going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. Always, come yeah. on, let's go. And, and I lived on the water up in Chesapeake Bay. And whether it was out in the boat or it was in the car, if he's going to the store, he'd buy, you know, those little Coke bottles, you know. That was back when there was cocaine in Coke. The <laughs> 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 real afternoon's alive. <laughs> <laughs> he'd buy me a Coke and cheese crackers along with him, and he'd stand there and talk for an hour, hour and a half with the guy at the, at the general store, yeah. you know. And I'd be just standing there listening and watching. Yeah. And... My dad was a master sergeant in the Army. You know, he didn't really know how to show love like we think of it today, you know, a father doing things with their kids and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But it was uh, it was profound to me how much he loved me. I never, I, uh, there was never any question about it. He loved having me with him. Yeah. And that was yeah. in the story, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, I felt total acceptance and total love. and He didn't make any effort. I mean, there was not anything planned or... We never went camping. We never, <laughs> you know, any of that kind of stuff. We were poor, you know, that kind of thing never entered our minds. But, but he took you with him to uh, everywhere. He was with so, you. So it didn't have to be hard. Hmm? It didn't have to be hard. Just take no, it with No, no, just, just natural. Just, yeah. Mm. Well, my, my son's exactly like that now. Yeah. We don't have to, you know, I don't care what I'm doing. He wants to be with me. Cool. You know, yeah. yeah. We don't go in it. We, you know, we go hang out. We That'd go be better, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I guess the important thing then for you as dad is to not 
say no. Well, sometimes you have to, you know, some things, you, you know. You, you, well, I was going to say, you know, we're all talking about all the positive stuff, yeah. but sometimes the love takes the form of Just, a no yeah. Yeah. or a chastening. Yeah. You know, it hurts so. me more than you. But, but, but I love you. I'm just saying. You can you can commit an act of love that is detrimental to the person right. that you're showing yeah. it to. Right. Yeah. But before the in, before the instrumental, before the industrial revolution, uh, children were the apprentices of their sons were the apprentices of their father. Mm-hmm. Hence, we have our last names yeah. a lot of times. Really our last names either refer to who were the son of Van Dale or Anderson. Uh, or they referred to our trade, Baker or Black or Smith. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know where Jones came into that. But when the Industrial Revolution came along, you couldn't have your sons with you at work. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about is that downtime, when we're chilling out, it's the me time. you got some children <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that can hang with you sometimes. You know, Push the grocery cart or whatever. Um, and not feel like you're babysitting, you're just with them. And I had a de- man, I had so many flashbacks while you were talking, man. Being the firstborn, I think I benefited from being my father's son more than my younger sibling. There was four of us, and he wasn't about to take us all. He just couldn't handle it. But I generally was the one that got to go with it during all those growing up years. We were, were born within four years. So, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah. I did the same thing with my oldest son, uh-huh. and my oldest daughter, to this day, resents mm. that I took him everywhere, yeah. and I never did her. <sighs> yeah, it's tough. And I never realized it at the time, you know? Yeah. My wife says I'd take him and bring him back and have her change his diaper, and then I'd go out again. <laughs> so, was your daughter was your daughter older than your was your daughter older than your son? No, she was two years younger. She is the second born. Uh huh. I'm telling you, the older son really uh, scores. Uh, yeah. yeah. My sister's like that. Older child. The second borns oftentimes are the more aggressive because by golly, the first born's not uh-huh. getting ahead of me. But because she was a girl, um, there's. It, it distance, distance with her and dad to this day. I really. never could understand why yeah. I neglected her. Yeah. Never intended it's to. It's tough. You know, it's just, well, you know, man, parenting is so hard. Man. The benefits of what we're talking just... about. Because I, I have a daughter. No son, just one daughter. And when she was little, I would take her with me on sales calls and around and driving back and forth and here and there. And there was times I'd be taking a week-long sales trip and she couldn't go. Mm-hmm. And she just couldn't go. And uh, the benefit of that time spent is today, every week she calls me. Wow. Every mm-hmm. week we talk. Her husband was saved three weeks ago because of her mm-hmm. and her walk with Christ. Because mm-hmm. he never, he'd never been in the church, ever. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it pays I mean, didn't know it 30 years ago, had no clue, mm-hmm. but it paid. And the opportunity to pray for people, um, well, to take the time to pray, good. has, uh, your lesson tonight's been huge because the last two days there's been 
a dozen opportunities to pray for people, pray healing for people. And some of them I stepped forward and spoke, and some I withheld. And like when you came out of church and you saw or the, the Walmart and you saw the people gathered around praying, I could have been there. Later, that's the exact same way I felt. It's like I was called and I didn't, I wasn't obedient, and I should have been. And later I was, and it just, it, it, the devil can mess with you some days on some of that stuff, and and you just, you just got to go back to exactly to walking where he wants us to be. And That's good. Sometimes when we don't know it any better. One, one other thing I, I think is important, in this, especially in the love walk, because I, I had started examining myself when I would help someone. Part of that is because you start, you get jaded, and you start going, okay, if I give them this money, they're just going to buy a liquor, they're going to buy mm-hmm. drugs, they're going to do so and so and so. You got to stop looking for the reward. You got to <laughs> stop worrying about what your act is accomplishing and leave that to God. You know, God, I'm I'm going to bless this person. It's up to you. It's the Holy Spirit. It's up to you to, to convict them to do to use it wisely. I know why I'm giving, and I'm not looking for anything out of it. I'm not looking to gain anything from my time with him. Cause my, I have to believe that if there is a reward, it's in heaven. You know, and I have to keep that in front of me. It's, you know, you know, so many times, especially as a musician, man, people see you and they think you're rich. They think you have such and such. They're always hitting you for something. Um, the reality is, over time, you start going. You know, I'm not doing this for myself. Yeah. You know, there. I don't. You know, if I did it for myself, my reward would be here, and then that'd be it. No, I don't want that. So you have to stop being jaded, first of all, and just trust God with your heart and, and become tender again. You know, become. Listen, you know, my son cries when he sees homeless people. He, he's a wreck. We have to, you know, we have to get going to these long discussions about stuff. You know, well, you know, there's a job right there in this. Times is now hiring. We have to go into these discussions. His heart is tender. He doesn't know any of that stuff. I believe that's where God wants us to be. But more importantly, is we would we would remain tender if we stop looking for for the reward in what we've just done. Just don't look for it. Leave it to God. Well, my dad to that because I've been doing kind of a study on the love verses, and I've got, I wish I had my notes, but um, there's several scriptures that refer to that, that that's the kind of love God wants us to have, that, you know, help your brother in love, but it's not love if you got to watch your back. No, he wants that love just pure and and whole without the consequences or or what do I get out of it or the tax write-off for donating. <laughs> yeah, been, and, and I've been well, just writing down scripture after scripture about that. And, you know, you said that love was a commandment, but it's also one of our gifts. And there's references to love and faith and love and works and Without the love, the other stuff doesn't work. But it, it's that kind of love, yeah. to just 
do it without what do I get out of it? No, it's a giving kind of love. And, and, unconditional. Yeah, un yeah, unconditional love. And like your son, you know, that innocent love. He doesn't know any better. He hasn't no. been jaded. He hasn't grown up in L.A., you know. I mean, I got jaded, too, in L.A. Because it's a business out there, you know. Yeah, well, mean, it's, it's a rough business because as society is going cashless, more and more, those guys are going to hurt. I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're not going to have credit card machines. Hey, I'm homeless. Yeah, yeah, right. Not going to happen. Let's see if we have any callers. Hey, Hal. We had somebody earlier. Do you have any input for us, or questions, or comments, wisdom? No, I've just been sitting here enjoying. Every everyone sharing bits and pieces. I mean, you know that's a, that's a very good way to formulate love. You know. Yeah. That's great. Well, thanks for joining us, man. You bet. You're welcome.